Okay, so um, so last week, I think it was last week, right? Last week we began to learn through a little bit of, um, sort of to get a taste of the Sefer Me'ashilech. So that's where we started last week. I'm hoping that this week, I mean, the plan is not to be as long as last week, you know? So we'll try to keep it to the usual 45 to 55 minute range, you know? Do the best we can. So what I also want to do is that, I'm, you know, I'm also aware of the time that we're in, this time of year, is getting ready for Purim. So I'm going to try, over the course of these shiur, to sort of, within shiur, to try to connect it to Purim on some level, because it's, Me'ashilech B'chlal, and Ishbiz is connected to, to Purim Dekechesidus. So, so let's begin like this. We'll begin like this. If you take a look at the, the first marmokim you have, so... So a few, a few ha'aras just about Purim. So marmokim number one is the opening line of Mesechus Megillah. The Gemara about Purim. So the opening line of Megillah is as follows: Megillah Nekras, Biyadalf, Biyadbeis, Biyadgimel, Biyadalid, Ubetesvav. That in theory, as we know, the Megillah, Megillah Sester, Purim can be at least the, the Megillah part of it can be kept as early as Yud Aleph, right? So we know that again, just uh, very basic. We know Purim is the fourteenth day of Adar. This year, Adar Beis, Shushan Purim is the fifteenth day of Adar. But says the Mishnah, there is a possibility of Yidin being able to have Purim even before Purim proper, before, early, as early as the 11th day of Adar, right? And the Gemara explains, as we know, that the, the basic issue is that in order to read the Megillah, you need to have someone that knows how to read the Megillah, right? So not, nowadays we take that for granted, but back in the day it wasn't, so, it wasn't so simple. Not everyone knew how to read, and certainly not everyone knew how to read the Megillah. So the concern was, if you had little villages, little shtetlach in the middle of nowhere, so what are they going to do? They can't read the Megillah. So the only way they can read the Megillah is if they make their way to the big cities. And usually they only make their way to the big cities on Mondays and Thursdays. That was days that they would travel to the big cities. So to accommodate them, we would allow them to read the Megillah on the Monday and Thursday before Purim. To allow them to, once they're there anyway, they can read the Megillah then. And that could be as early as the 11th day of Adar. That's the Mishnah. Megillah Nekras B'yadal, Fiyabes B'yadal, 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 That Megillah, the, the, the read of Megillah can theoretically be done even before Purim itself. That's the opening halacha of Megillah. Now that, nowadays that's not so practical. We don't have that halacha nowadays. But in theory, that's what the halacha was when you had these little shtatlach. So the, the first question to think about is that that's a very strange Indian. That you could be able, that Chazal were lenient when it came to Purim to allow the Megillah to be read before Purim. Such a phenomenon, such a thing. Usually a normal situation, if a guy, you know, you need to eat matzah on Pesach, you don't have matzah on Pesach, you only have matzah two days before Pesach, okay, I'm sorry, it is what it is. What are you, what are you supposed to do? The fact that over here, when it came to Megillah's Esther, Chazal said, listen, you can't, you don't, you're not going to have the opportunity to read the Megillah on Purim itself because you don't have anyone who knows how to lay in it. The only opportunity you have to lay in the Megillah is two days before Purim, Okay, so read it then. Such an Indian. That Purim could be done before Purim. Okay, so you have to understand why, why is that. Why were Chazal lenient about that? That's question number one. Okay. Question number two. In Marmokka number two, this is a famous Gemara in Shabbos, Peiches Med Aleph. Okay, the Gemara is based on a Pasuk. The Pasuk says regarding Har Sinai, the Yisiatsu Sahar, it's well known. The Pasuk says that they encamped by Har Sinai under the mountain. So that's a strange way of describing encamping near a mountain, is under a mountain. So the Gemara says like this, Um, Rav Avdimi Bar Chama, Bar Chasa, Rav Avdimi, the son of Chama, and the son of Chasa said, Malami Shekafa Kadesh Baruch Aleim Hesahar Kigigis. That it means literally that they stood under the mountain, that Hashem picked up the mountain and held it over them. V'amr Lehem, and he said, Imat Makabma Torah Mutav. If you accept the Torah willingly, then good. Vim Lav, but if not, Shom Teik V'raschem, that this is where you'll be buried. In other words, Hashem held the mountain over our heads, compelling us to receive the Torah. That's the Gemara. Amr Rabchama Bar Yaakov, Rabchama Bar Yaakov said, Mikan Maidor Rabbala Raisa. From because of that, now the Jewish people, since that point in time, had a pretty, big, pretty legitimate excuse not to keep Tyre because we were forced into it. It wasn't necessarily completely with our own uh, acceptance. We were forced into it. So you could always have that sort of like in the back of your mind, that Taina against the Rabbani Shalalim, like we were forced into this. What do we need it for? Amarava. But Rav said, that that Kabul Satira of Harsinai that was compelled, which has within it, therefore, sort of a, an out, or at least a, 
a way to respond to Hashem, if you don't keep the Torah, listen, we were forced into this to begin with, that only gets us till Purim. Because once Purim came, we, we re-accepted the Torah by Purim, by the times of Achashverosh, completely willingly. As the Pasuk says, that the Jewish people accepted upon themselves on a simple level, it means the Yontif of Purim, but Chazal Darshan, that we accepted what we originally accepted. In other words, by Harsina, we accepted the Torah a little bit out of force. And now, by uh, Purim, we accepted it completely, Baratzin, uh, completely out of our own free will. That's the Gemara. <clears throat> now, what we see from this Gemara is that the Gemara is connecting, redefining the Yontif of Purim for us, not just as a Yontif that we're celebrating our survival and the whole miracle of Purim, but an aspect of Purim is that it is the day of Kabbalah Satar, right? We accepted the Torah on Har Sinai, that's Shavuos. And there's another Shavuos, which is Purim. So Purim and Shavuos. Purim and Shavuos, that's what the Gemara is really connecting the two. Just as Shavuos is a time of Kabbalah Satar, so, so too Purim is a time of Kabbalah Satar. But what's interesting is, is that when we think of it in those terms of Purim and Shavuos, even though they both share the, common, the commonality in terms of being days of Kabbalah Satar, but, we, but they seem to be very opposite from each other. Mm-hmm. First of all, one, one very clear contrast is like this. Shavuos, the minig is, at least for men, to stay up all night in order to receive the Torah, right? So we see that when it, came, when it comes to the receiving of, Torah, of Shavuos, it needs a wakefulness. Wakefulness. The opposite of being asleep. Mashenka and Purim, the mitzvah is, as a Gemara, we all know, this mitzvah is to drink until you don't know what's up, what's down. We know we find this in Chazal and Tanakh. A drunkard, someone that's drunk, is considered like he's asleep. We find this in Tanakh. It's, it's always a reference like this that you know, wake up from your from your wine. The puzzle says in a bunch of places describing people that are that don't have the right mind because of alcohol. So, so which one is it? When it can, when it comes to Har Sinai, the Indian over there to receive the Torah needs wakefulness. When it comes to Purim, Adarab, I mean, it needs sleepfulness. That's a strange dynamic. More than that, when it, when it comes to receiving the Torah of Har Sinai, so if you take a look at Marmokka number three, there's a Gemara and Brachas that describes the sort of the matzav that a Jew has to be in to receive the Torah of Har Sinai. It says as follows, the Tanya, the Gemara quotes of Raisa, It says that you should pass over the tradition of Har Sinai to your children, to your grandchildren. You should tr- pass over the tradition, not just that you receive the Torah, but that you stood before Hashem by our Sinai. What is, what's the hint over there? So it says the Gemara, that the Maimon of our Sinai, and that's part of the tradition we have to pass over to the next generation, is that the Maimon of our Sinai was not just that we received the Torah, but we received the Torah with dread and awe and fear. It was a matzav of fear, it was a matzav of yira. That's what it was. So the Kabbalah Satira of Har Sinai, first of all, demands wakefulness, wakefulness, and a presence of Hashem that translates in a sense of fear and awe. That's what the Pasuk is saying. Contrasting that to the Kabbalah Satira, to the re-Kabbalah of Purim, all of a sudden, there's a mitzvah to be asleep, pretty much, right? And it's also well known from the Ramah, right? The Ramah says that's how you fulfill the mitzvah of drinking on Purim, by drinking more than you're used to, and falling asleep because of that. So the whole mitzvah is to be asleep, not like Shavuos where we stay up. And the Kabbal Satar of Purim is a Kabbal Satar, not of fear. We all know, like the year is not the theme of Purim. What's the theme of Purim? Zahava's so love is, 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 is uh, even Leitzanus, uh, jokingness and a, and a lightheartedness, the opposite of everything that's Amo, Bir, Bresuzubazeah. So how do we make sense of this? On the one hand, well, we, we accept the Torah once again on Purim, connecting it to Har Sinai, but yet it seems that the Kabbalah Satar of Purim is the exact opposite of what the Kabbalah Satar of Har Sinai was. So how do we make sense of this? And, what, and, and, the, and, the, and the, another question we have to think about is that what was it about specifically the miracle of Purim that motivated the Jewish people to be able to accept the Torah without needing the mountain held over our heads? If Hashem held the mountain over our heads, it was obviously for a reason, right? So why don't we need that anymore once we have Purim? So this whole thing needs explanation. Okay, so we'll put that to the side. We'll get back to that at the end. Okay, last week we began uh, discussing a little bit the Indian of the Ishbitzer, what Meishlech, what, what, um, what, uh, what that Chasidus of, of Ishbitz in, in Radzin is really about. Um, 
Okay, no, I guess the truth is, for those that, that didn't hear it, this is the next minute is going to sound very strange. For those that heard it, it'll be just a little bit strange. So what we, what we saw last week was, is that the Gilui, a major revelation of Ishbitz, is that there's no such thing as a Jew that finds themselves in a situation that's outside of Tyre and Mitzvahs. Now, that doesn't just mean that you're outside of a situation where you could be Mekayim Tyre Mitzvahs. The, literally the situation that every Jew finds themselves in, even when a person, God forbid, is doing the wrong thing and making the wrong decision. That's also the, the universe that the person is in, that situation is the world of Torah Mitzvahs. And we explained, we said from Rabbi Nachman and so on, that the Torah that we, that the Torah of Hashem gave us <coughs> exists on many, many levels. And by the time it gets down to our domain, our dimension, it translates in words and sentences, and it breaks down in such a way that makes sense to us. It says, don't wear shatnas, keep Shabbos, honor your parents, v'chulu v'chulu, all the mitzvahs that we have, and it's, and it's broken down in such a, an obvious way. And in the version of Torah that we have down here, there's clearly certain activities that align you with Torah, and certain activities which don't align you with Torah. That's the version of Torah that we have down here. But what we saw from Rabbi Nachman is that that's only the final version of Torah. But the, the Torah that the, there are higher and earlier, so to speak, earlier not in terms of time, but in, in, in terms of like levels, you know, there are earlier versions of Torah that are not broken down in the sentence structure that we have. All they are are just divine names of the Rabbanu Shalom and experiences of godliness. And so the Chiddush of Ishbitz is, is that no matter what you're doing, you are, there's no question that every situation in life is that you are living that particular Pasuk in Tyra. You are living that experience of, of Yiddishkeit. The question is, are you going to be making the right decision, thus aligning yourself with the version of Tyra that makes sense to us down here? Or, are, or is a person, God forbid, going to make the wrong decision and only therefore aligning themselves with this higher primordial version of Tyra that doesn't that, that doesn't specifically break down in, in particular rules and regulations. It's just what that, what that Pasuk means on a divine level, on a divine experience, which is not limited to one particular activity in that environment. You know? So, the, that, that, so the, the, what the Ishbitzer is revealing to us is an amazing, amazing thing, which is that every single Yid is on some level, when it comes Friday night, is on, every single Yid is on some level connecting and and fulfilling on some level that Pasuk of Zachar Siyam HaShavos Those people that we call Shemr Shabbos are fulfilling that Pasuk, are living that Pasuk as it reads down here, which as we explained at length, that's ultimately the will of God, is that we should live the version of Torah as it reads down here on planet Earth. And those Yidin that we do not describe them as being Shemr Shabbos, it means that they're not living appropriately as the Pasuk as that Pusik reads down on planet Earth, but they are against their will, because they're Jews. They are ultimately living that Pusik as it's read and as it's experienced on levels that precede this world, that precede the way it's broken down in this Pusik. So every single Yid is in the context of Zachar Siyam HaShavaz Lekadshah. Even if the person, God forbid, is doing something that we would describe as Chil Shabbos, he's being Mechal Shabbos as it's defined in the, la- in the final stage of that Pasuk. But in a primordial higher stage of that Pasuk, no matter what a Jew is doing, automatically by the very definition that you're a Jew and you're in that universe that's being created at that moment by that Pasuk of Zachar Siyamash automatically you're living that Pasuk. You might not be living it in a way that's clearly visible as Zachar Siyamash but that's the Pasuk that you're in. That was the concept, and we saw last week that this is the, through Rabbi Nachman as well, this is the key how you are makariv of the Yidin, how you bring it into Torah. Because by thinking that a Yid is outside, if, the, if, if a person thinks, makes the mistake of thinking, that there's a possibility of a Jew literally being outside of that Pasuk, then you can't get him in. Like, you're not going to be able to bring that person in. Rather, the Eitzah is, and this is, this is, we're going to continue with this thing tonight, is that really the Eitzah is to believe and to realize that there's no such thing as a Jew that's not in the Pasuk of Zachar Siyam It's just a matter of whether they're living that Pasuk as it reads down here, or they're living that Pasuk in some higher divine plane that does not 
read to us as Zohar's Yamashah Zakatshe. But there's no such thing as a Jew that's not in Zohar's Yamashah Zakatshe. Now, knowing that, that doesn't, Adarabah, that, by, by appreciating that, you might, a person might think, well, that will stop me from really trying to be Makar of this person, because like they're keeping Shabbos anyway on some divine level, whatever that means. But the real answer is, is that it's not true, because when a person is sensitive to Torah and Yiddishkeit and understands what we're talking about, then, then just as, let's say an example, I mean, I, you know, it, I probably shouldn't give this example, probably, I, I definitely shouldn't, because I would have no connection to this, but here, here it goes. If a, if a woman is pregnant, right, and she's holding by, the baby needs to come out, it would be cruel to stop the baby from coming out because it has to move to the next level of, of its development, which is actually to come out and to breathe. That, that it would be, when, when something's holding by, by moving to its final destination and you're blocking it from doing such a thing, that's painful and that's cruel. When, when we appreciate that Torah, of course, Torah exists on all levels, even its primordial state where it's all divine names and it doesn't read the way we read it. But when we realize and appreciate that Torah is, the, Torah is godliness, and that godliness wants to evolve, it wants to develop to its final version of Zohar Siyam Hashem as we read it, then but when we're sensitive to that, then Adarabah, it, it's, it's, it's intense suffering for the Rabbani Shloylam and for Torah itself, and for that Jew, for, that, for, for, for not to make its way all the way down to its final version. See, again, if we just think of Torah as a bunch of rules, so this guy's not keeping the rules, so it's... Uh, He'll go to Gehenim. Uh, so why do I have to make myself crazy to bring this guy into Yiddishkeit? It's his own issue. Because uh, I have a mitzvah, be makarv, somehow in some way you have to get my armakimus to prove to you that you have a mitzvah to be makarv another Yid. That's all if you think of Yiddishkeit as just a bunch of rules. And this guy, is he keeping it, is he not keeping it? But if Yiddishkeit is a mitzvah, if Zohar Hashem is a reality of divinity, and that reality of divinity wants to be born, it wants to make its way to its final stage through this person's life, then when I see this person not allowing the Torah to, to eventually descend to its final resting place in that person's life, then that's painful for him, that's painful for Torah, it's painful for God. So of course I'm going to step in. I don't need Maram Kaimis and Rambams to show me that I should be Makar of this guy to keep Shabbos. By him not keeping the final version of Shabbos, what he's doing is he's blocking the Torah itself from moving to its final stage. He's keeping the baby in. That's cruel. That's painful. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to be proven that that's a, that's a cruelty. That's, that's automatic. So this idea does not... It would be a mistake to think that this type of idea, this type of mentality, takes away the motivation to be Makarvian. Quite the opposite. It deepens the motivation, and it compels you to try to be Makarv as much as possible. First of all, now you have the ability to do it by realizing that there's no such thing as a year that's outside of Torah Mitzvahs. So the job is much easier now. It's not like you have to schlep them inside. They're already there, number one. And number two, because they're already there, and the Torah that they're living is stuck on a higher on this primordial state when it wants to get into reality, and this Jew is not allowing it to get into reality, and that's painful for God, that's painful for Torah, there's a birth that needs to happen, but it's not happening, so of course you're going to be motivated more than anything else to bring that Jew, to allow the Torah of that person's life to manifest and to descend and to become articulated as Zohar Siyam And when you when you bring that Yid into Yiddishkeit, you're not only helping that Yid, you're helping the Rabbani Shalom, you're helping the Shechina, you're helping all of the, all, the entire Bria, the entire universe. You're allowing that Torah to finally, to finally materialize and to unpackage itself in the way that God wants it. It doesn't take away the motivation of Kiyar, it, it adds to it, it deepens it, it deepens it. Those that are not connected to these truths of Torah, they need to be, they, they need to have other side unhealthy motivations why they need to be Makarvan of the Yid. Maybe it's because of their own Parnassah, maybe it's all sorts of reasons, some idealistic, some less idealistic. But when, when you're connected to Primi Satara, be Makarvan of the Yid is, is as natural and as necessary as breathing itself. There's no, there's no chilek. You just, uh, otherwise, you, you're seeing someone in pain. You're seeing the person in pain, you're seeing Torah in pain. Of course you want to alleviate that suffering by allowing the Torah to move from its, 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 its being held back from being able to flourish as Zohar Siyam as we read it. So it's obvious. Okay, yeah. The fact that everybody, every Jew is bound by Zohar Siyam whether it be for good or bad, even accountability, yeah. even star 
isn't that enough space that uh, that is, you know, even not keeping it is is defining that you're defined by it. So isn't that uh, enough space already to say that no one's outside of Tyra? Why do we have to have this extra level that he's actually keeping it just on the, on a higher level? Because that's the that's accountable to it is is making it a reality which connects him to it. That's which the and that's but, that, but that's the reality. True, but that's the reality that he's living, is that he's living a, a version of that Pasuk in its primordial state. That's the universe that he's experiencing. That is, that is his experience right now. But wasn't that because of the time that they could exist without Kaich of Torah? Say it again, because what? Wasn't that because of the way they explained that the ter- Kaich of Torah is Mahabha? It's just ha- he couldn't exist otherwise. Mahasa. Right. He, right. right. So everything that's happening right now has to be a reflection of what of the Matthias of Tyre. If it's the Matthias, if it's if it's if it's a, a if it's something good, obvious, then it's a reflection of the down to earth, the, the final stage of Tyre. If it's not as we see it in such a way, then it's a reflection of previous uh, primordial stages of Tyre. Okay, so I have to see. There's definitely, there's definitely, there's definitely something that's there's such a thing as kilkel. The, the biggest kilkel is not allowing the birth to take place. That's the biggest kilkel there is. That's the biggest kilkel. That's the biggest destruction. Okay, let's see. So now, okay, let's go. Fine. That was all. Yeah, it's already, it's already light, and it's going to be another hour and a half share. Okay, I tell you. Okay, fine. All right, so we'll do the best we can. That was all last week. Okay, fine. So now, now this week. Okay, what we find in Ishbitz is an amazing thing. And Ishbitz takes this idea to the next level. The next level in Ishbitz is that th- this is not something that only the Makarev has to know in order to how to know how to deal with a guy that is quote-unquote Mechal Shabbos. In Ishbitz, we're taught is that this reality is deeply rooted in the Jewish soul itself, and you know it. And this reality of always being connected to Yiddishkeit, even when you're doing something that is seemingly against Yiddishkeit, that, that truth is deeply etched in the Jewish soul, and it has, an emo- it, has, it has ways of surfacing, it has ways of surfacing, and it, this truth makes itself known in ways that we would otherwise not recognize where it's coming from. Take a look at Maramokka number four. Okay, this is Ishbitzer in the beginning of Parashas Vayigash. Zeshom Arkasov. Okay, so he, he quotes a pasuk in, in Sefer Shmuel. It's not a, it's not an easy pasuk to read. So I'll, I'll just I'll read the pasuk in Hebrew, in English, and then we could just completely forget about the English translation because he's going to push it. He's going to should touch this pasuk anyway. So don't worry about it. So the pasuk says like this: Amar Elokei Yisrael, David Melch is saying this: Amar Elokei Yisrael, that the God of Israel said, Li Diber Tzur Yisrael. And to me, the rock of Israel has spoken. So it's like a double, you know, poetic language. The God of Israel has spoken to me. The rock of Israel has spoken to me. Moishel ba'adam tzaddik, that you, David, should be the leader of people and be a tzaddik. Moishel yirisel akim, and you should lead people through the fear of Hashem. That's the, that's the Pasuk. Okay, fine. So the Ishwitzer is going to tell us that this Pasuk is hinting to two different types of Yidin. This is a classic concept in Ishbitz. And it's, again, every single yid is a combination of the two. So we're just making prototypes and archetypes, okay? There's two different types of yidin. There's what we call the tzaddik, what we call the bal tshuva. Okay, this is a classic in Ishmael. And he's going to describe how this pasuk is really speaking to both the tzaddik and the bal tshuva. And there's a certain personality, there's a certain quality that the tzaddik has that allows him to be a tzaddik. And there's a certain personality that the bal tshuva has allowing him to be the bal tshuva. Again, the bal tshuva in this context doesn't mean Davka, someone that's not religious, as we all know, it means someone that's, uh, needs to do tshuva. It needs to do tshuva. So it says like this, Amar Alekei Yisrael. The first sentence that, that, this, that this Jew, you know, David is speaking on behalf of all Yidin, that a certain Jew is saying, Amar Alekei Yisrael, that the God of Israel has spoken. Hainu haklolim shel this is a reference to the, the, the Torah that reads to us on planet Earth the final version of Torah, the Kolem, rules and regulations that, that everyone, has, everyone is bound by. Hey, Maram, Ach, Mitzvah, Say, Vishesal, Loisa, Say, the 248 positive Mitzvahs, 365 negatives, Ashadinu, Bekol, Nevesh, Me, Yisrael, Shav, Shav, that's given to every Jew equally, right? That final version of Torah, like when it says, Zochus, Yom, Shav, Zakadsha, what does that mean? That means the same thing for everyone, right? It means Kiddush. Everyone has the same look in Kiddush, right? Everyone, the final version of Torah is Shavu Nefesh is given to everyone equally. That's the reference, what's, and that's, 
that, and that's what's being referred to over here, is Amr Alekei Yisrael, the God of all of Israel, has spoken. What God is that? That's the God of the final version of Tyre, so to speak. Then the Pasuk moves on to a different, not, not a different God, obviously, but a different element of Tyre, a different side, a different dimension. Li Dibert Yisrael, to me, the rock of Israel has spoken. Now, so all of a sudden, it moved from the general God of Israel to the, the rock of Israel has spoken to me. So what does that mean? Li Hainul Balchuva. That this, this, now there's, what is being described over here is that the Rabbanu Shloilam has a conversation to all of Kal Yisrael. And when the Rabbanu Shloilam speaks to all of Kal Yisrael, he speaks in that final version of Tyre. That final version that fits with every single Yid's life, and there's, without exceptions. But then there's another type of speech that Rabbanu Shloilam speaks to every single individual person that needs to be Balchuva. And that individual speech, that whisper in the ear that the Rabbanu Shloilam gives to each individual Jew that needs to be Balchuva is earlier versions of Torah. To those Bali Tshuva or potential Bali Tshuva, the Rabbanu Shem speaks individually and specifically. And what he says to them is, and he reveals to their souls, that even though I just got finished saying to the whole Chevra, but to you, I want to remind you, I want to reveal to you, that that Pasuk, it means there's earlier versions of that Pasuk that doesn't read that way. Why would the Rabbana Shloilam implant this truth in the Jewish heart? What, is the, what does it do? What does it help by knowing this deeply? Said the Ishbitzer, this reality, this truth of knowing that every single one of us, no matter what decisions we make, even negative ones, does not take us out of Torah. It might take us out of the final version of Torah, but it doesn't take us out of the primordial versions of Torah. What that results in is a very deep emotional confidence and security, and which gives you the ability to actually do tshuva. Because Ishbitzer, in classic Ishbitz fashion, explains that if a person, the, the only way how you could be motivated to do tshuva is if there's a part of you that believes and that feels that you don't really have to do tshuva anyway. If a person believed without, if there was never a whisper in the person's soul that that there's a part of you that's, that, that you're anyway connected to Zachos Yamashah If a person thought that they're outside of Zachos Yamashah the weight and the guilt of that inyan that the soul would feel would be so overwhelming that you wouldn't even be able to spiritually get out of bed. In order to allow a person to do tshuva, the balchuva or the potential balchuva has to be whispered to by God in his ear. And what's the whisper? There are higher levels of Torah that you were fulfilling. And that gives the Jew the confidence, oh, that means I'm in the parish of Zohar Siyam And that means that, therefore, on some level, of course God's going to forgive me. Because I was never outside of Zohar Siyam So because I know that I will be forgiven, I will now ask forgiveness. So the Yishmets like this, This truth that the soul knows, which is hinted to in this passage of Li Dibert Tzur Yisrael, gives the Jew soul confidence, after he sins, because a person would think otherwise that all hope is lost. The Yashav El Hashem, and there's no possibility of him returning to God. Then the Rabbanu gives you the confidence to do tshuva. What's the confidence? Not that if you don't do tshuva, you'll go to a deeper Gehenim. That's not what's, that's not what's going to get this guy to do tshuva. The confidence the Rabbanu gives the Jew to do tshuva is this deep, subtle awareness that even the Baal Tshuva himself cannot articulate. You can't articulate it, not to anyone else, not even to yourself. But somehow, deep down, you know that it'll be, all be okay. It'll all be okay. I will have a tikkun, the Rabbanu will forgive me, it's all going to work out. And that confidence is what allows you to then fix it. Otherwise, you can't, you can't overcome the, the, the weight of the guilt and the responsibility and just the, it, it will be too much. And this is why the Pasuk changes this language. The first Pasuk was Amar Elokei Yisrael, right? Not only was it in a language that's more general, Elokei Yisrael, but the language was also Amar. The word Amar, which means to say something, that's more of a gentle thing. Not strong. It's not strong. But then the Pasuk, the Eitzel Balchuva, but by the next Pasuk, the next part of the Pasuk, where it's talking now to Balchuva, Amar what? Dov, Diber, Diber Tzur Yisrael, that the Rock of Israel speaks to me in a strong way. Now, what does it mean strong way? It means to give me confidence. Hainu Tekufais. 
Gambetchila, in another reference, in the beginning it said, Elokei Yisrael, the God of Israel. That's a beautiful statement. And then it describes God as what? As the rock of Israel. And a rock means, again, means strength. The strength over here is not a reference to God being tough. The Rebbe Hashem is giving you toughness and you strength. The Balchuva is tough and the Balchuva has to be tough. And the toughness and the strength of the Balchuva to be able to face the sin head on comes from somewhere deep down, very deeply inside the Balchuva, knowing and sensing that everything's okay anyway, on some level. On the primordial levels of Torah, everything's okay. So what am I trying to fix? I'm trying to, not even fix, I'm just trying to allow that truth of Torah to make its way all the way down. That's really not such a huge uh, kilkel to fix. And that's what tshuva means, and that's what gives the Baal tshuva the ability to do this. And then the Pasuk continues, describing that the Baal tshuva has to, find, has to feel within himself such a confidence and such a strength, almost as if he's greater, that he's been living this primordial version of Torah, which is, in, which is in truth deeper and higher than the final version. Again, although it's not God's will, God wants to get to the final version. But the level that the Balchuva has been living on, Lamaisa has been higher levels. And this is the next part of the Pasuk. Maishel ba'adam tzadik. Maishel ba'adam tzadik means that the Balchuva has to feel within himself that he is the leader. He is stronger than even the tzadik. What's the tzadik over here? The tzadik over here means chazal. When Chazal make takanas, they make rabbinic decrees, and this guy went against those rabbinic decrees, how is he going to do tshuva from that? The way he's going to do tshuva is that there's a part of him that feels that he's, that he's stronger than, 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 than the Darabonans. You understand? There's a part of him that's deeper than Darabonans. There's a part of him that's connected to the higher dimensions of the Darabonans. If the chait that he, that he fell into was something of rabbinic of nature, then the person has to say to himself, I, I have the strength to overcome. To, 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 I, I, I could face that Indian. I'm big enough and I'm deep enough to face that Indian that, I, that, the, that, that the tzaddikim, that the, that the chachamim placed upon me. Nothing stops, nothing stops tshuva. Then the Pasuk continues, Not only does the Baal Tshuva have to feel a certain memshala, a certain tekifus, even in the face of darabonans, he has to even feel that tekifus in the face of darises, in the face of God himself. If the sin was even against Torah itself, Torah biblical, I'm strong enough to overcome everything. I could overcome even when Chazal say it's too late, I could overcome that. And even, God forbid, when God himself says it's too late, I could overcome that. Because all the too lates that I've been told, either from Chazal or from God himself, are all too lates as far as the final version of Torah. But in terms of the previous primordial versions of Torah, there's no such thing as too late. What too late? I did everything I was supposed to do. I was living it. I wasn't living the final version. But that, that knowing that I have been living the earlier versions, the primordial versions, gives me the confidence to realize that uh, there's nothing that can stop me. I've never been, uh, I, I am Torah, I am Yiddishkeit. There's no, there's no such thing. And, but again, as I said before, when a person knows this deeply, it motivates you even more to, make the, to allow the Torah to get to its final version. Because, again, like I said, there's a pregnancy that needs, the baby needs to come out and it's not being let. I'll call Nemer. Ishbitzer sums this up, and this is all, this is all connected to the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Noam HaGever Hukamoil. David Melch is described as the man that establishes the yoke, that puts the yoke on his shoulders and bears it. What does that mean? That David Melch embraces the Avoida and the power of Tshuva. What does that mean? And this is where we reconnect the Purim. That even though it's true, Torah by Harsinai, was given in such a way that demanded fear and awe is because what was given to us at Har Sinai? The Torah that was being given to us in Har Sinai, obviously we got the whole Torah, but the standout version of Torah that was given to us in Har Sinai was what? Was the final version of Torah. And the final version of Torah demands you to be a tzaddik, and there's no alternative to that. And in order to live up to that standard, you have to have ema and yira and fear and a wakefulness. You have to be cognizant of what you're doing. There's only one version of Zachar Siyam HaShah but, but again, knowing that, as we'll see in a second, and knowing that, we'll see in a second, that that, that, that itself made the Jewish people feel that we can't live up to that. Because if, if, if Torah is just a list of rules, 
it says Zochus Yom Shachar and that's what it means. That what and and my life has to live up, has to fit with that perfectly. And if it doesn't, it means I'm completely not in Zochus Yom Shachar That's an overwhelming sense of responsibility and 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 lifelong uh, yoke to bear. So the Rebbe Hashem has to hold the mountain over our heads to to accept that. But if it was told to us that everything you have been doing, even your mistakes, has always been Zachar Siyam then all of a sudden Zachar Siyam is not overwhelming. It's not the biggest, biggest thing to bear. It's not a burden. It's what my life was always. So now it's just a matter of living it in the final version. But even if I don't, not to lighten the, the responsibility, but it's not an overwhelming thing. There's a certain tekivas in that. Obviously, you're, you're, you're hearing this. That's going to be the chilek. That's going to be the Chiddush of Purim, but let's get there. And many things that Chazal make us afraid, not, not purposefully, but they, they try to bring home the severity of the Inyan. All those warnings and all those things, that, you, know, you, know, the, you know, the crossbones and the, the, the skull and crossbones, like, you know, you do, there is no, there's no return from this. You cross this line, all is lost. There's no chuva for this. There's no... Kares, all that stuff. Zois That's all said before the sin. It's all before the sin. Because before the sin, the objective is to be a tzaddik. And a tzaddikis. And in order to be a tzaddik and a tzaddikis, you better recognize the, 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 the red lines and what, to, what this pasuk is demanding of the tzaddik. But once the sin is committed, God forbid, and now it's a matter of doing tshuva, there's nothing that stands in the way of tshuva. And after the sin is committed, God forbid, then then you can't give up. It's an amazing line. He says, because ultimately, at the end of time, when everything is worked out, and the primordial versions of Torah, and the final version of Torah will be melded together. That's something we'll talk about Bez Hashem in the coming weeks. When the true revelation of what Yiddishkeit is will take place with Mashiach, it'll become clear that there never was such a thing as a Jew that committed a sin. There's never been such a thing. What there has been is such a thing as a Jew blocking and holding Torah back from manifesting to its final version. But a sin... A breaking, damaging rebelliousness, never been such a thing. The Iker Zaisat Kufas, and says the Ishbitzer, there are certain Yidden that are given a higher dosage of that confidence more than others. Some people hearing hearing what I'm talking about right now will be will be inspired by it, hopefully, and, and, and strengthened by it. Other Yidden will be, uh, this is apicarsis and whatever, you know, the, 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 and, the, and there are different Yidden, and they're given different dosages of these, of these in Yonim. Iker, as I said to Kufis, and said the Yishbitzer, this main strength of confidence is what? Is Nimsa B'Shevet Yehuda. There's one Shevet in particular, and every single Yid is called a Yehudi, but Shevet Yud in particular has this big Inyan of Tekifas. Yehuda is therefore connected to the pre, more, more than other Shvatim to the primordial versions of Tyra, which results in this confidence. And this is why, again, in the context of the parsha he's talking about, when Yehuda approaches Yosef, Yosef is the classic tzaddik, the one that only, lit, that only feels emotionally connected to the final version of Tyra and stands by Harsina with dread and awe, because he's the tzaddik, whereas Yehuda is the Balshuva that's more deeply connected to the primordial versions of Torah, resulting in a certain sense of confidence and knowing that even after he falls, not much damage has been done anyway, and that allows him to fix whatever damage there is to, to, to correct it. So he says, Alkin that's the meaning of Yehuda approaching Yosef. That's again the classic in Parshas Vigash. Yehuda doesn't say anything new. What does he say? He's just repeating over the same story that you had in the previous parasha, telling Yosef what Tzadik what happened with Yaakov and Binyamin, the whole story. So what's the Chiddush? The Chiddush is how it was said. That all of a sudden Yehuda, after being after the end of Parshas Miketz, when everything seems to be falling apart, and Yehuda says, oh my gosh, the Rabbanu Shalom is remembering our Averis of selling Yosef, and we're guilty, we're guilty, we're guilty, and that's all true, all of a sudden, Yehuda's, he's confident, and he talks to Yosef with confidence and strength, you know, that, uh, even repeating the story, but repeating it with a sense of confidence, where did that confidence come from? Nothing happened, nothing changed, there was no Hashanah Baganu, what, what, what exactly changed between the end of Parshas Miketz and the beginning of the Yigash? The answer is nothing. 
But what happened was is that there was a deep whisper in Yehuda's ear of Li Dibert Sur Yisrael, Maishel Badim Tzadik, Maishel Yerusel That that's that that's that's what happened at that moment that Yehuda. The, the deep truth of what Yiddishkeit is, what Torah is in its primordial versions, made it, made its, uh, you know, it had, it, it, you know, it, it reverberated through, through Yehuda's neshama and psyche, and it emerged in a certain emotional confidence, and that's where the emotional confidence comes from. <clears throat> now, if you take a look at Maramukha number five, so let's go back. We started with comparing and contrasting Shavuos and Purim. So they're both, again, let's remind ourselves of some of the questions, right? So Shavuos is a day of Kabbalah Torah, but that Torah that, that we receive, that we truly experience on Shavuos, is a Torah that demands a wakefulness and it demands seriousness. All of a sudden, Shavuos, the Torah that we receive, that we re-accepted on Shavuos, uh, on Purim, I'm sorry, is a Torah that seemingly demands sleepfulness and it demands Simcha, and even borderline Leitzanis. So how do we make sense of it? The answer is, again, as Lishbitzer even referenced a moment ago, is that Shavuos is a Kabbalah Taira of the final version of Taira, the way the Pasig reads down here on planet Earth. Okay? And because of that, it demands an aim of it demands a confidence, it demands a, a seriousness, it demands a fear, it demands wakefulness. Wakefulness means always being alert, always being on guard, not allowing, God forbid, even the minor slip-up because everything will be lost otherwise, a wakefulness. But at the other hand, it results in a lack of confidence and a, and a terrible fear, and the Rebbe Shalom therefore has to compel us to keep Torah by holding a mountain over our heads. But the Chiddush of Purim is a what? Is that Purim is when the Jewish people accepted upon ourselves the Torah out of absolute love and absolute willingness. Why? Because what was revealed to on Purim, as we're going to see in a moment, is that what was revealed to us on Purim is that even when we were eating the meal of Achashverosh and we were doing the sin which caused Haman's decree to come upon us, but at that very moment, in that Avera itself, the Rabbanashim was also planting the seeds for Esther Malka to take over and not only to thwart Haman's decree, but actually to give us unbelievable benefits by having Esther Malka in the, in the, in the palace, resulting in the second base of Migdash and Mordechai eventually having the power of Haman. Amazing things. So I don't get it. If you want to tell me that there was an Avera and the Jewish people did tshuva and then the Rabbanu begins to, to, to give us rewards because we did tshuva, that's fine. But that in the Avera itself, the Rabbanu should be rewarding us in the Avera? How does that make sense? The only way that makes sense is because it's pre-mortal versions of Torah. And the, lowest, the last version of Torah, the final stop of Torah, it says, don't go to Surah Zachash But in the higher versions of Torah, there's no such thing as not being Mekayim Ratzin Hashem on some level. Maybe not the final version of Ratzin Hashem. Maybe not the ultimate version of Ratzin Hashem. But higher levels, primordial levels, you're always in the world of Torah. And Purim is a revelation of, of where instead of that higher versions of Torah just being in the background and maybe giving us a little bit confidence when we need it, all of a sudden on Purim, that prior primordial version of Torah makes its way to the surface to such a degree that we're actually being rewarded for sinning. And so what happens by Purim is a revelation of, of, of what Torah is in its higher roots. And of course that results in the Jewish people being able to accept the Torah without needing a mountain over our heads. Because that's where confidence comes from. We don't, what, what's, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario, we're living higher versions of Tyre. It's something we have to fix. Because again, as I said, you want to you allow Tyre to get all the way down to its final destination. But either way, we're not, it's not all lost. That's what Purim means. And so all of a sudden with Purim, the, the Tyre is now accepted with love. Without that aim of year, it's more of a Balchuva. And it's accepted in a way of even sleepfulness. Because sleepfulness... Because this doesn't make sense. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. This is not logical. But that's what, that's what Purim is. Purim is Adlo Yoda. And in order to connect to that deeper truth, that primordial version of Torah, you go to sleep. And you allow your Das to go to the side. And you allow this truth to be manifest for one day a year. You know? So that's what Purim is. Take a look at Maramukkah number 6. Okay, we'll go back to 5 in a moment. <clears throat> this is from the Teferis Yasef. This is a great-grandson of the Ishbitzer, but he's quoting a Torah from his great-grandfather. He says, and he says an mamish profound thing. The Gemara says, the Gemara says in Megillah, a conversation that the students of Rishim Baichai asked the Rebbe, Rishim Baichai, what did the Jewish people do? What was the big Avera that they did to bring 
the decree of Haman. Now, in the story of the Megillah, the obvious answer is the suit of Achashverosh. But the Gemara says that that's not a full, that can't be the full story because it wasn't the whole Jewish people, it was only the city of Shunshan, so it can't be everything. It was a major part of it, but it wasn't everything. So the Gemara says that Rashim Rechai said that the real problem was because a few years earlier, when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Bavel, the, the, the king, a few kings before Achashverosh, when he took the Jewish people into exile, the Pasuk says it's a whole mice in Sefer Daniel, that the, he erected a huge statue. Uh, questionable if it's a Vedizara or just a, you know, a representation of his kingdom, whatever it is, and he compelled the Jewish people to bow down to it. And every single Jew bowed down to this statue, except for Hanani, Mishal, Vazar, except for three Yidin. And that was a huge Avera, bowing down to a statue like such a thing. And the whole Jewish people did that. Because of that, that's where the decree of Haman came from. Says the Gemara, well, that's a terrible Avera, so why, how do we get away with it? Why, you know, what, so how did it, uh, how did it work out? So the Gemara says, Rishon Baruchai said, When the Jewish people bowed down to the statue, they only did it superficially. They didn't really mean it. Their heart wasn't in it. They did it because they felt they had no choice because they were under the, the threat of death. But they, they didn't really want to. So since the Avera wasn't real, you know, it wasn't really with their desire. So even the decree was always, it was a little bit, uh, the whole thing was a little bit uh, superficial anyway. Because from the beginning, the the the, 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 the you know, the decree that was set into motion was set into motion with its own undoing. So uh, the whole thing was kind of superficial. That's what the Gemara says. It says the Israelites like this, Shemeyach Nidmul Hem Yisrael. We have to, now that we have the, you know, we see the history, we read the Gemara, so fine. But at the time, the Jewish people really felt, They mamish felt that by bowing down to that statue, they were done. Kares, finished. They were disconnected from Yiddishkeit, they were outside of Amuna, outside of faith, outside of Torah, done. And because they, because they bowed down to the statue. But it says these words like this, This phenomenon that, that the Gemara says, that when they bowed down, they only did it superficially, My great-grandfather, the Ishbitzer, said, They didn't know that at the time. When they bowed down to the statue, they didn't think they were being superficial. They meant it. What does the Gemara mean that it was only superficial? It was revealed to them through the miracle of Purim that when we sinned, it was taka only superficial. But they didn't, they didn't feel that it was superficial at the time. They were all in at the moment. So at that time, the Aver was mamish. It felt like through and through. And so they mamish felt that they were completely disconnected. And they were disconnected to the final version of Tyre. That final version which says, that final version which says, they have to sacrifice your life, they were not in that Pasuk. And because of that, they mamish felt, and there was the truth on that level, that they're completely disconnected and they deserve to be destroyed. And at that moment when they sinned and, and afterwards, they mamish felt and they knew that they were now disjointed and disconnected from God's will. But then, through the miracle of Purim, the Rabbanu revealed to themselves that looking back at that sin, Istaka wasn't really us. It wasn't really Bamis. It wasn't in Pneumius. It was revealed to the Jewish people that they didn't really sin, that they weren't de- detached from God's will. And it was revealed to them through the miracle of Purim that Taka, when we bowed down, it wasn't Belay Benefesh. Then said the Ishbitzer, that revelation of Purim, the revelation was not just the Rabbanu has our back. That's, 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 element, that's elementary of Purim. The depth of Purim is, is that the Rabbanu revealed to us that the Avera that we committed at the time we committed it with Hislavas. But what Purim revealed to us is that that wasn't real Hislavas. The real Hislavas is only kept for Torah Mitzvahs. Real Pneumius is... is you're not, it's not possible for a Jew to ultimately do something wrong. And now they kept it, now we accept the Torah with absolute simcha, with confidence that there's nothing we can do to ultimately get, get out of that. Because Purim revealed to them that Torah is deeply, uh, it's, it's, it's the deepest shidduch that a Jewish person can have. And there's nothing you can do to ultimately detach yourself from what Torah demands of you. There's nothing you can do to get out of that Pasuk. Okay, then Torah is an absolute shidduch. So of course I'll accept the Torah with 100%. I, that, that's me, that's who I am. It's 100%.
we started with a question, why is it that on Purim, Chazal gave a leniency to read the Megillah before Purim? Such a thing, you could eat matzah before Pesach, get some sukkah before sukkah, so you read the Megillah before Purim. Why? Marmok number five. Since Purim is a revelation, since the whole Kedushas Purim is a revelation, that any time a Jew commits a sin, it's only a sin and it's only a deviation from the final version of Torah. But the earlier versions of Torah you're always in line with. So of course Purim is therefore going to be reflective of this idea of there being an ability to connect to something early. That's what Purim is about. Because the whole, all the sins of the Jewish people, Purim reveals to us and fixes those sins by connecting us to earlier versions. Earlier, not in terms of timeline, but earlier in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, process of development. So there, that truth of earlier primordial versions of Torah, which Perm is connecting us to, is going to make its way known in Hilchus Perm by allowing us to what? To keep Perm before Perm. So everything in Perm is going to be earlier than itself. Because the whole Kedushas Perm is is that the version of Torah that you have, Yudal, Yud, Tezvav, that's the final version of Torah. But you should know, Perm that manifests itself on the 14th and 15th already started on Yudalev. That, that's, that, that, that's what Yiddishkeit is, that's the Yiddishkeit of Perm, that's the Yiddishkeit that, we're, that gave us the Chizik of Perm. In Marmokka number 5, the Yishvitzer writes, it's just one line in Parshas Breshis, Ubemes, he says the truth is, Kol Chet Yisrael, all sins of the Jewish people, Hein Kemoy Eichli Paga, all it is really is eating fruit that isn't fully ripened yet. That's really what a sin is. It's just eating fruit that isn't fully ripened. The Jewish soul is trying to connect to God before the right time, before it's fully ripened. So that, should you eat, you have a, you know, a beautiful uh, peach you know, sitting on your counter. Two more days, it'll be perfect. Now it's still not good. So you eat it. It's chaval. It's chaval. Because if you waited two days, you'd have a much better peach. It's chaval. Maybe it'll even give you a stomachache. But that's what happened. You just ate it too early. So the whole Indian of Anaveira by the Jewish people, Purim reveals to us, it's just that you kept it too early, that's all. So the whole Indian of Purim is going to be too early, that's all. The whole Indian of Purim is like that. And, and Davka the Amhi Aretz, Davka people that don't know how to read, they don't know how to have any laning, they don't, have a shy, they don't feel they have a shaykhist to Tyra. If you're, if you're a guy that you're illiterate, right, and you have no shy, so what, what's that? So the guy is the Balkari, he's, you, have no, you, have no, you don't feel connected. So that's Davka the Yid that we're trying to be mechazik the most on Purim by saying you're not connected. You're living Yiddish guy, it's not possible. It's not possible you're not connected. You might not know in, in, down here the final version of how to read the Megillah. But you know, you know, you're living the Megillah Sester, so read it early from your alpha already. That's the side of Purim. Okay, no, Hashem Shalab, you should be Zaycha to become Ba'i Tshuva. Okay, yeah. What do you expect?